I set up a camera trap. I was scrolling through the photos. The last photo was me at maybe 3.55 walking through the camera screen. And then at 4.15, a black bear came up. I have a photo of the bear, side eye, where he realizes the trap is there. And then the next shot is just full frame black. And then the camera's facing up into the canopy. Clearly he was watching me and just waiting around until I left and just tore apart the camera trap. That's Ryan Tidman, RCGS Trebek Initiative grantee, talking about his project on the impact that logging old growth forests is having on Vancouver Island's bear population. He's also a professional wildlife photographer and our guest on this episode of Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. Welcome to all you explorers out there armchair and in motion. I'm your host, David McGuffin. I'm really thrilled to have Ryan Tidman with us on this episode. You can find a lot of this young photographer's work in Canadian Geographic magazine, including two recent cover stories, one on sea wolves, who he describes as one of his favorite animals to photograph, and one out on newsstands now about Canada's most endangered mammal, the Vancouver Island Marmot. Both are beautiful, fascinating photo essays. Of course, with a subscription, to the award-winning Canadian Geographic magazine. You don't have to go to the newsstand to pick up Ryan's work. The magazine is delivered right to you, six times a year, and you get full digital access as well. It only costs $28.50 a year, almost nothing. And it's worth every single penny. You can sign up by going to canadiangeographic.ca forward slash subscribe. You'll be happy that you did. This is our second interview with the Trebek Initiative grantee, Be sure to check out my talk with Christian Stenner earlier this year about his journey into Canada's most active volcano. It's an incredible tale. And to learn more about the Trebek Initiative and research it supports, go to trebekinitiative.com. So there's a lot of great and thoughtful stuff in this interview with Ryan Tidman about photographing wildlife and on Ryan's entry into photography, how he chose early internships, his mentorship with legendary National Geographic photographers Paul Nicklin and Christina Mittmeyer, And there's also a lot of great lessons in here about the importance of perseverance, especially early in your career. So let's go. Ryan Tidman, welcome to the Explore podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, We've been highlighting some of the work of uh, Trebek Initiative grantees. We talked to Christian Stenner about his uh, Mount Meager volcano expedition, which was fascinating. Uh, You're doing something different than that. It's out in clear air, (laughs) much cleaner air. I guess, first of all, can you just tell us a bit about it and what was the, the germ behind the idea? Yeah, sure. So the, a quick summary of the project, it's how black bears on Vancouver Island are being impacted by old growth logging. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for stories to tell and share, you know, close to home, I, I live on Vancouver Island. Uh, this instantly stood out to me. Black bears, kind of the the charismatic megafauna on the island, and in the past, I've fortunately had some fun encounters with them, and I've been able to film them and and be up close and personal with them before. Right. And it just you know, I feel like they're the most neglected of the bears. They're not the stereotypical like the big polar bear or grizz or well, even on the west coast. When you think of west coast bears, black bears probably I think would be. Th- third on the list maybe or even maybe even lower yeah yeah (laughs) commonly considered almost as pests and you know they're they're so impressive in their own right um but yeah i was doing some research on on actually at first how to photograph them i was i was 
I've had a couple just dream shots of potential black bear photos and mm-hmm. I was one thing was leading to another and over and over and I, I ran across or stumbled across this research paper by a scientist on Vancouver Island named Helen Davis mm-hmm. and really fascinating stuff the first article I read from her was actually how she was trying to create artificial bear dens to essentially mitigate the impacts of old growth logging which Mm -hmm. is having on Vancouver Island and uh, that just sounded so fascinating so I started digging in more and more and I guess the the quick Cole's notes on on the status of black bears is that there's never been a true inventory of black bears uh, in British Columbia, let alone Vancouver Island. So when, for example, when the government's giving out uh, hunting tags, it's based on just rough estimates of populations of bears. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. It it seems as it's going to be a healthy population. But now with less than 3% of old growth in uh, British Columbia, Mm -hmm these bears are running into issues and and they're not the typical issues that black bears across the across north america would have vancouver island's a a pretty unique landscape in the sense that it's a temperate rainforest so you know if you've ever been out west the the amount of rain is is next level some spots on the island get up to six meters a year which in (laughs) six six meters let's actually just ponder that yeah. for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. A, lot, a lot of rain. Yeah. Um, but with all that precipitation, it, it really impacts where these bears can hibernate. Right. And unlike most traditional den sites, you'd think of like a rock formation or caves or some sort of covered structure. These bears are pretty much exclusively reliant. I shouldn't say pretty much. They are exclusively reliant to cavities in old growth trees, primarily so, cedars. Why is that? Like, I mean, caves getting saturated? Is that the issue? The, yeah, the... everything's too damp and too wet. Huh. Um, so there are caves on Vancouver Island. There's, there's a lot of really great caves, but everything's just too, too damp. So the idea is that inside these old growth trees... They breathe enough, basically, right? Is that it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're insulated and they stay dry. And uh, I mean, a bit of tree anatomy is obviously the only part of the living tree is on on the outer edge of the bark. So the inside's all dead, and and you get occasionally you can get rot, or you can just get dry fallen wood. And and bears can excavate little cavities to make them bigger to to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good spot for natural protection. Um, Certain cavities, the bigger they are, can be more suitable towards um, reproduction over the winter. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's it's a pretty remarkable thing in the scheme of things that, that there's trees here that are big enough to support bears, let alone yeah. a, a mother with cubs, right? Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And what kind of trees are cool. these? Primarily, they're, they're cedars, yeah. um, but, you know, you can find any anything with a big enough cavity, whether that's um, yeah. a big leaf maple or a dug fir or yeah. something. And what kind of diameter um, tree do, you, do they need, roughly? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So it, it's tough because it's it, sometimes it's on burls and sometimes it's halfway up the tree. But um, if you can picture a black bear, which is, let's say, maybe a meter and a half to probably two meters long mm-hmm. they're they're really what they're looking for is not the biggest cavity but the, the tightest one they can find and they can actually comfortably fit in because the less room that their bodies have to yeah, warm right. yeah. in the cavity the, the cozier it's going to be yeah. and uh, something else that they're looking for in these trees is actually the smaller cavity the better and and i guess for me to kind of think about this you think of like how impressive m- 
that mice can fit through just the smallest holes. Yeah. And you can see cavities in some of these, some of these trees that are tiny and, and the bears are super into that because it's less potential exposure to the elements during their hibernation. Um, and, and also it gives them sense of an added protection. It's, it's harder for other predators, whether that's cannibalism and other black bears or cougars coming in to try to disrupt their slumber. Um, Huh. Is that so, yeah, it can. And, wow. and another interesting part of, of Helen's research is that since we don't know how many bears are on the island um, and we know that they're running out, the, the bottleneck is now um, old growth and lack of den sites. Yeah. These bears are now facing competition between remaining dens left and less successful reproduction over winter and now even cannibalism of competition between dens. So... It's a it's a problem that yeah. doesn't seem like it can be really solved. Unfortunately, obviously, you know, lots of his old growth is five hundred plus years upwards to amazing. to nearly a thousand years, which is amazing. Um, and, and then once we log it, it, it's not it's not a habitat or an ecosystem that can be recovered, right? Not in our lifetimes or the next or lifetime generations. Or over and over and over. Yeah, no, incredible. Yeah. So just to backpedal a little bit, where are you doing this research? Like where is the old growth forest left in on yeah, Vancouver so, Island? And, and you talk about 3% also in BC and what, is it similar on Vancouver Island or do you know? Yeah. I, I, most of the productive um, big, big trees are on Vancouver Island. Just again, closer, you're further exposed on the West coast, more precipitation, more rain, uh, okay. um, bigger trees. So yeah, most of that three percent is based on Vancouver oh, Island at this point, and and yeah. of course there are some sort of anomalies that, you know, you might count the peaks of the subalpine with little stunted growth trees as old growth because they're a couple hundred years old, but they're as tall as I am. So the three percent that that I'm specifically talking about are these big remaining trees. Um, for the most part, they're in the southwest of Vancouver Island. Okay. There are patches, of course, throughout the entire island, and, and it's definitely some anomalies and and where you're seeing big trees. You could be, it, it, yeah. There's there's a lot of different spots, but the biggest remaining patches are are definitely southwest of yeah. Vancouver Island. Can you can you describe what it's like to be for someone who hasn't been there in that old growth forest? Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I'm from Ontario, and I moved out in 2017, and I remember I was flying into Nanaimo, which doesn't have old growth, and as the plane was landing, the first thing I thought, looking out the window, was, holy shit, those are big trees. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, how naive I was to get off the plane, and like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, and then my first time walking through Cathedral Grove, which is one of the most popular remaining protected parks of of old growth um on your way to tofino a popular tourist destination yeah um wow it's it's amazing like it's really hard to fully appreciate them when you're walking by because it just it it doesn't almost it just feels like jurassic park or something and and then you start exploring some of these unprotected but unpopulated and hard to get to patches and it's yeah it's otherworldly um i said jurassic park maybe i'm going to change my reference to avatar-esque now cool it's it just my my actually probably my favorite part about old growth ecosystem is of course the trees are massive but with all that competition complete for who's getting uh, sun exposure in the canopy 
the forest floor is is isn't full of smaller tiny trees because there's no there's no chance right. they're going to compete for the the light so it's just filled with beautiful sword fern and moss and you know previous windfall or whatever and it, it's a super open forest floor which is really spectacular again coming from ontario it's yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty the bush is much denser here for sure yeah yeah the undergrowth yeah is exactly much denser. so I'm, I'm imagining the light coming through that canopy too into that sort of cathedral as you're describing it mm-hmm. must be incredible yeah absolutely yeah so i mean you're talking about the bears now with with the dwindling old growth forest that the the black bears are competing with each other for dens are are they competing with other bears too or or is it really just amongst themselves vancouver island only has black bears um there are two or three grizzly bears that occasionally swim over due to lack of of salmon or or bad salmon years um and they're monitored pretty well yeah 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 no one wants them So this has been going, the Black Bear Project has been going for how, for how long now? And, and what's sort of the, the, the timeline for it? And what are you hoping to, to wind up with? Yeah, so I received the grant in the end, or at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, kind of past the point where it was safe to go set up some camera traps mm-hmm. on, on dens. And, and that's kind of my, my dream shots for the project is to have bears in dens um, and exploring dens arboreal dens just bears with old growth to really connect the two obviously old growth being such a hot topic right now it's it's interesting to for me at least to feel like you can integrate um some sort of animal relationship into it rather than just human appreciation for old growth as as that's obviously abundant and clear um but yeah so uh, this spring i um with Helen, we went out to almost 20 different potential or dens that had been used that mm-hmm. we didn't know if there were bears. And we struck out. We were 0 for 20, which was really surprising for her and, and a little disheartening for me, uh, thinking that maybe this is going to be a little more challenging than I had initially anticipated. But yeah, since since then, you had we had to give it kind of a couple-week window. It's such a sensitive time of year where the bears are coming out, they're hungry, um, they'll go back to their dens for the first week or so coming out of hibernation, just as they know it's a safe spot. Yeah. We just get to this point where, where we know it's, it's such as odds are everyone's going to be at least awake by now. And we have to kind of leave them alone and, and for their best interest. So I've, uh, I've extended the project up until next May now, I believe. So I can have a, a two more shots of, of bears going in and coming out of hibernation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, around a year, and and right now I'm actually just picked up a couple camera traps yesterday of of just trying to track bears in old growth, just just getting photos of them in their element as as undisturbed and as natural as possible. Yeah, and how are those turning out? Have you had a chance to look at those? I have three cards. Um, oh, that's a lot of photos. With, I'm guessing <laughs> with maybe nothing. <laughs> Who knows? That uh, it's kind of the fun part of camera trapping is is you get to go set up this just imaginary scene and uh, your imagination kind of takes control. You're like, oh, what if a bear comes in on this angle and looks at the camera? Or if you want a side profile or if the light's nice when the bear's coming through taking the photo and you know, 90% of the time you get nothing or you get false triggers of sunlight hitting ferns and making motion but it's part of the fun of of camera trapping for me you never know what you're going to get and it's nature doing its thing it's as undisturbing and as unintrusive as possible 
Have there been any surprises out there for you? Hmm. Mm, yeah, actually, I guess so. Um, my my secret my secret hope is to get some cougar on camera traps. Yeah. I, I haven't seen a cougar on the island yet, and it's probably the last species I've been itching to find, and I haven't. But um, the first the first camera trap I uh, set up only maybe a month or so ago. I was exploring a little patch of old growth near somewhere I used to live, and I actually found two two bear dens that had definitely been used in the past, which is really exciting to find. They're they're, they're the first dens that I had found without the help of Helen or or other field scientists. Mm-hmm. And there's clearly some excavation at the entrance of the den. And at this point of the year, the bears aren't excavating to to dig it out for the following year. They're probably digging it out for roots or some sort of really quick to find food source right out of hibernation. So without trying to be there as as long as possible, knowing that it was pretty active, I I set up a camera trap and I, I ran away and I came back the next week and I was going through, like, scrolling through the photos before picking it up, and the last photo was me at maybe 3.55 walking <laughs> through the camera screen, right? Yeah. And then at 4.15, a black bear came up and just tore apart the camera trap. So yeah. clearly he was watching me and just waiting around until I left. That's and, hilarious. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have a photo of the bear, side eye where he realizes the trap is there, and then the next shot is just full frame black and then the camera's facing up in the into the canopy so yeah i had the camera trap deployed for two weeks but it was really only triggering for for 10 minutes which was yeah (laughs) who's watching who out there yeah yeah exactly exactly and and those are actually so after going back i set up three more camera traps kind of in the general vicinity and i pick i know just from scrolling yesterday i picked up the bear at least on one of them Mm -hmm. but who knows if they're usable photos right that's that's another part of the fun is sort of lighting or, or position of the bear or if things are in focus or not. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so clear, I mean, obviously the, the, the point of this whole project is t- to highlight the issues of cutting old growth and what, what the mm-hmm. broader impact is. I mean, where are we in terms of British Columbia and old growth forest? What are the protections is, you know, are, are you pushing for more? Yeah. The, the kind of, it's, it's really a million dollar question is that, People say stuff and then people do other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you're talking about the current government, right? Is that that's exactly right? Yeah. Yes, and and it's tough. You know, British Columbia is reliant on logging, and you know, it, it employs a, a good percentage of the population, and and it's one of the most sustainable spots on the planet to log. And for the most part, you, you know, most of these people in the industry don't really want to log old growth, but that's what the higher ups are, are making them do because it pays a lot of money and mm-hmm. of course it's, it's super controversial in the sense of once it's gone it's gone forever whereas you can have you know blocks with monocultures that are logged every 40 years um so it it is tough in in that sense with you know having having two different ways to look at it in the sense of environmentalists who are very keen to protect it and, and preserve it and then people who are just reliant on it and and need that as a, an income to to sustain themselves especially on Vancouver Island um, considering its very intricate and detailed history with logging uh, going back to you know cook coming out and right. and captain Vancouver himself like you know that, that that was the purpose of Vancouver Island and and why we why it was colonized 
So it's yeah. it's definitely in, ingrained in in the province. Yeah. So I mean, how do you find the balance then? Like, what's the what's the trick? There? Yeah. <laughs> that's the question. It's a million dollar question. That's, yeah. that's the million dollar question that so far no one has been able to to answer. Yeah. And and that's another really fascinating part of, of Helen's research, which is mm. what I'm trying to work with. So, you know, regardless of, of if old growth logging ever stops or if we just simply run out of it, mm. Helen's creating these artificial dens by using previously logged old growth. So whether that's finding fallen trees that have just never been collected or going and finding like a big stump in a clear cut. Mm -hmm. If there's a suitable cavity at the stump, we can simply cap it by putting a, it's, it sounds, it's so easy, by putting a big sheet of plywood on top and and just essentially weatherproofing it. So it still provides a bear with an opportunity to find a, a potential cavity site in a, a old growth in in clear cut old growth and uh, you know that that shouldn't be um that shouldn't be assumed that that's that's the end all solution and now bears will be safe forever because right. after the tree's been logged it's a matter of time till till rotting comes in and and right. root decay and and just deterioration so they're, they're temporary solutions but it's enough hopefully to bridge the gap between right. having a real response to to deteriorating and, and diminishing dens and, and figuring out what we're going to do with these bears next. Yeah. What, I mean, what, what do you do next? Yeah. <laughs> that's also an open, that's, that's another million. Yeah, there's a lot question. of million dollar I, questions. Yeah. yeah I, I know the, the government right now is doing a, a really detailed, thorough bear assessment on the Island, mm-hmm. which is exciting because it's, it's the first time it's ever been done, but we don't even know how many bears are here or what the population is doing. Is, is it diminishing as quickly as we think? Is it bigger or is it smaller or, you know, how much, and, you know, hopefully when that research is done, we'll have a more incentive to preserve remaining uh, patches of old growth. Mm -hmm. If it's, if it's required for the bears, because the, the bears themselves are such a draw to Vancouver Island. There are so many tourist operations running black bear tours and, and wildlife tours throughout the West and the East coast of, of Vancouver Island. So, you know, they really provide economic um, significance as well to many, even remote populations. So yeah, it's a, it's an important thing to talk about. Your, your day job as it were, is a, is a photographer. I mean, is, is there a photography Mm -hmm. project that comes out of this is that ultimately your yes yeah. yes so the deliverables is is a photo essay um yeah pretty much talking about everything we're talking about now Good. so following helen's research yeah. and and hopefully getting a couple of black bear shots along the way yeah yeah I, I noticed in your proposal too that uh you talk about working with first nations experts traditional knowledge experts mm-hmm. knowledge keepers mm-hmm. um so who is that that you're working with and yeah, so ho- hopefully it's a couple of nations throughout the coast, um, or sorry, throughout the island, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just think it, it's really impossible to share a story on on someone else's land without getting their insight. Right. And Helen frequently works with First Nations to do den identification workshops. Um, you know, a lot of, of the nations are not necessarily running the logging, but they're, they're licensing the plots. And, and of course, a lot of people are employed by logging, especially the more remote you are, resource extraction right. increases in terms of um, potential job opportunities. Yeah. And just by, by working with these stewards, it really helps, at least 
to help everyone understand what to look for when when logging in terms of is this a potential bear den that mm. that we could preserve for for future hibernation use or is this is this not um and yeah it, it's you know people here have have lived around bears for thousands and thousands of years so it, it is just a really important talking point and and at least to comprehend how how bears have been integrated into into the ecosystem and the environment. We were talking about a bit about how black bears are sort of overshadowed by the the bigger West Coast bears, grizzlies, and mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like Vancouver Island in a similar way is kind of overshadowed by the mainland and the Rockies and the coastal mountains sure. and all that and stuff. But it but an amazing and unique environment. I'm just wondering how you. I mean, you say you've been there since 2017. I mean, how you wound up landing there and what the th- thinking was behind yeah. that. I went to school um, from Ontario. I went to school at the Where University about? of Guelph. I'm from Newmarket, if that means, yep, that means anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, just north of Toronto. Yeah, Exactly. I just tell everyone I'm from Toronto. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I went to Guelph for environmental sciences, and I graduated in 2017, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I, I knew pretty quickly on I was very interested in the field work, and I, and I wasn't excelling or, or didn't necessarily enjoy the academia aspect of of school. Right. So as I graduated, I was, you know, kind of half looking for potential master's placements, whether that's just to figure out if, if that was, if I could make that turn into academia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, for, for whatever reason, I stumbled across a, a grad program offered at the Royal Ontario Museum called Environmental Visual Communications. And essentially the, the course was an eight month program to integrate your background in biology with with a multimedia storytelling. So through the use of photo and video, essentially translating science into, into layman's terms for science communication. And when I did the, the course, um, like a walkthrough before en- enrolling and meeting the course coordinator and everything, they had mentioned that there was a potential internship with two National Geographic photographers on Vancouver Island. And oh, cool. uh, I remember I... I told the the coordinator then, even before I had applied, as it's the only reason I'm applying to the course. That that's something I knew. It was always like in the back of my head. Wow, that'd be a really cool career. And even by then, I hadn't really touched a camera, so it was a uh, a little a little ballsy, I guess. But um, yeah, sure enough, I, I enrolled in the program and uh, I landed the internship, and I, I moved out west to work with um, an environmental ocean uh, conservation. NGO called Sea Legacy, which is mm-hmm. co-founded by Nat Geo photographers Paul Nicklin and Christina Mittermeier. Oh wow, that's big so, names! Yeah, 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 yeah. So I worked with um, with them. I did my internship, and and fortunate enough, I was offered a full time position coming back after school ended. And yeah, I, I moved out here really full time in the beginning of 2018, and worked for them up until 2020, and went freelance after and, and that's kind of what i've been up to now oh, that's amazing so really hadn't done much photography up to that point sort of beyond your iphone kind of thing Is that... not at all yeah not at all um i mean you know like I, I had some idea of how to use a camera my my first purchase from my first job was to buy a camera because i was going on a, a school trip to costa rica and I, I i had cameras but i i didn't really actively use them so what'd you learn from those guys like paul nicklin yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty much everything. Um, I, I definitely recognize that it was a pretty once in a lifetime opportunity that a lot of people would 
be super grateful to have. So I mean, that's like grad uh, school, basically, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was school in itself. Yeah. Um, working working with Paul and Christina was yeah, it, it taught me everything about. Most importantly, now looking back in hindsight, is is how the industry works and how to how to be your own photographer as a career rather than working for someone else, which has been very helpful. Uh, very, very fortunate as well. You know, when I, when I did start working with cameras and, and video equipment, I was, I was playing on, on their cameras and their tools. So I had access to all the top end, the best of the best stuff. So <laughs> it, that was super lucky as well. And in, in the sense of my first video camera was a red or you, first, so it, that's like a, what is it? Like $70,000 camera or something like that? Like, it, it, yeah. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a lot of money. And like on the weekends, if they weren't, if they were away on expedition, yeah. I'd just take them home with me and, and play with them and like, Oh, this is how you turn it on. This is how you, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, which which has been very helpful since going freelance as well because I mean obviously their names are carrying me a long way already mm-hmm. but um, to have all the experience with all the equipment and and to understand how the industry works uh, has been yeah very very lucky for me to have yeah and so I mean to circle back to Canadian Geographic you've you've done a lot of work mm-hmm. with us um, uh, yeah just at least, just at least recently. two covers am I right like I think there was the yeah yeah very lucky. Um, I remember I was still working for Sea Legacy at the time, mm-hmm. and I would be super busy when Paul and Christina were home, but as, as soon as they would go away on an expedition that I wasn't a part of, work would just stop. And, yeah. of course, they're not bringing all of their camera equipment, so there's a bunch of cool toys laying around in the office. And I was thinking, <laughs> I, I really need to figure out how to make the most of this time where I have access to all this equipment and, and I can play with it and practice. So the first um, the first year of being there, I was, again, doing kind of what I ended up doing with bears, just researching stories on Vancouver Island, and I came across Vancouver Island marmots. And I, I don't know if you've seen, but it's the current, it's a feature in yeah. Canadian Geographic right now that, the, that has the, the cover. major issue, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is on pretty On newsstands cool. now, people, so yeah. That's right. <laughs> So I started that project back in 2018, and the way I started it was I would just email Marmot Recovery Foundation, the NGO I worked with, saying, hey, can I come hike with you guys in the field and look for marmots? And they'd say, no, no, no. And eventually they just got sick of me and said, sure, if, if you can keep up, you can tag along. Yeah. And and since then, I mean, that relationship's developed into something really fantastic. And But but I guess what I was going with this story is I, I pitched marmots to Canadian Geographic in 2019, and yeah. they said no. And then I pitched in 2020 and they said no. And then in 2021, there was, must have been some revelation of like, yeah, that sounds a really cool story. And then Sarah, Sarah Brown, the, the editor, mm-hmm. and I started talking about it. And yeah, it was really exciting to, to watch someone from, yeah. from Cangio get excited the same way I was excited. And Marmots is definitely kind of like my, my passion, my, my baby story, because I started really with not knowing what I was doing, playing with Paul and Christina's camera equipment on weekends to, to yeah. really growing into something yeah. now that we're able to share with, with every, yeah. every Canadian out there. We should explain why marmots are exciting. Cause they look a bit like a groundhog, but yeah. they, I mean, these animals are like one of the most endangered species. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are Canada's most endangered mammal. Yeah. So, I mean, even from when I started the project, Four, three years ago, four years ago now to, to today, there's been a slight increase of the population, which is really cool to see. Um, 
In the early 2000s, the marmot population was down to fewer than 50 individuals. And, you know, it was almost like a lost cause of, of why we should continue conserving them because it's just not going to be recoverable. Yeah. And, and sure enough, today we're sitting around 350. So, I mean, 350 still is yeah, in the scheme of things. That's exponential growth, though. That's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome growth, but it's still small. So it's it's such a important story. And, and I guess... Um, yeah, it's 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 an endemic species, which is already very cool to begin with. Um, it's you can only find them on Vancouver Island, hence the name. But yeah, I, I mean, for me, the story initially was going to be about the marmots themselves, just fun little ground squirrels doing their thing up in the subalpine, which is probably the most beautiful terrain on Vancouver Island. But being out in the field with them for the first couple of days with the crew. You know, I quickly realized that that the real story of of Marmot, uh, Vancouver Island Marmot should be the Marmot Recovery Foundation, the the crew in charge of doing the restoration efforts, because these guys are just next level in terms of of hiking and and the amount of strain they're willing to put their bodies through simply to go preserve this animal that that really has no impact on human life. We're we're the ones kind of negatively negatively impacting marmots yeah so about that i mean is it yeah. so it, it's habitat loss is the main issue for them or yeah they they were uh, occasionally hunted but not frequently but it's it's habitat fragmentation which is definitely the the key um restriction again <laughs> um unfortunately logging has has kind of limited their potential for range expansion uh, okay so typically you know marmots would go from mountaintop to mountaintop in search of new food or new potential um burrows or whatever but now with clear cuts or chop blocks in the way it's it's a pretty like running the gauntlet from cougars primarily which is the the current predator right now in the sense of the marmots would be able to be much more strategic and and camouflage going through trees and forests but now in a yeah in an open block there you know shooting for ducks kind of thing huh interesting so is there work on getting like wilderness corridors set up as well and that sort of thing for yeah them? yeah and and you know that's another fantastic thing with a lot of the logging companies is that they're very cognizant of what's going on and, and they work really well with Marmot recovery foundation and helping preserve future areas mm-hmm. and doing habitat restoration so it is it's teamwork through and through like you know no one wants to see a next extinction of any animal um so just essentially doing the science and the research to figure out the optimal way of preserving and restoring any species um it's always everyone's always for it there's never (laughs) there's never any resistance yeah nice and the the other cover you did i think may have been your first cover was um Mm. was it coastal wolves yeah yeah yeah. which is another story i mean again with marvis what i love about canadian geographic is it just teaches me about stuff I know nothing about, right? And again, that was a surprising thing to me. I I don't think of the West Coast, especially along the coastlines, as having a wolf population. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so how did you, I mean, where did that come from? Yeah, so I I should say, if I could could photograph or work with any species for the rest of my life, it would be coastal wolves. Uh, Why is that? They're just so smart. They're they're so smart and they're so in sync and in tune with their environment. It's astounding. Um, very intelligent animals, and and the social dynamics amongst wolves are, are very impressive as well. Uh, but that that photo is on the west coast of Vancouver Island, um, in an area that I had been before, and I'd known there were wolves there, mm-hmm. and and we hadn't seen any wolves or any sign of it, but figured we'd just go looking 
for anything interesting along those islands. And sure enough, we came across a decaying sea lion carcass that was washing up on the beach and thinking, oh, like, you know, this is smelly, but maybe it's worth sticking around for a bit. <laughs> who knows? what? Who else is going to smell it? Yeah. And yeah, sure sure enough, just hit the lottery and and uh, a mother with, with three pups came out. And, and one of them was that wolf with the heterochromia, the two different colored eyes. And it wasn't even until I got back that night downloading the cards, I had, I had realized that wolf was so unique in its own way. I was just so focused on framing yeah. and, and exposure and composure. Um, so, yeah, it was like hitting the lottery again. Ah, amazing. So are they like an actual subspecies of wolf or are they? Yeah, so it's, it's technically, I guess, a gray wolf, but it's a subspecies that the real difference between the I guess coastal wolves and traditional wolves is that their diets are pretty much exclusively in the intertidal zone. Mm -hmm. So very reliant on mussels, clams, um, washed up sea lions, um, you know, it's predation for sea otters. It's essentially island hopping in search of food in intertidals. Amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. So where where was that? You say in the West Coast, but whereabouts? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I shouldn't really say just okay. because there is unfortunately a lot of controversial things with with trophy hunters. Oh, interesting! Killing wolves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's still licensed hunts for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, there was a pack of wolves down near Souk, so maybe 45 minutes northwest on the west coast um, from Victoria. Mm-hmm. And over COVID, you know, unfortunately there was a lot of a lot of hunting with not i shouldn't say unfortunately hunting's fine um mm-hmm. but there might have been more than typical years just because people were bored and wanted to get outside and go do something mm-hmm. and some some hero or lady shot an entire pack of of wolves in souk and yeah. was like oh i'm saving our community from the wolves and it was just you know it was just really sad um yeah, incredibly sad really sad yeah bad stuff you know wolves are wolves are awesome i think every, the vast majority of people on vancouver island love wolves they're yeah you know, such a fascinating species and how endangered are they yeah i, I don't know not if clear. i could really answer that yeah. they're, they're so elusive i'm not sure there are real good population counts on wolves either huh that's amazing you've really landed in a great spot <laughs> yeah yeah i i knew going freelance like wow I, I can't leave here because i already made some fantastic connections and contacts but it just does have everything you could ever want and of course ontario has some absolutely fantastic wildlife as well i mean driving into algonquin or something yeah. it's not uncommon to see moose or yeah. any big special animal yeah. but yeah. here i can drive 15 minutes to go play with a black bear at, a, at its den or yeah. you know drive across the island and, and go search for wolves or go to dolphins up north and and killer whales it's yeah it's it's a pretty special spot of the planet yeah exactly exactly and that that sort of uh, quick access to wilderness and nature is such a gift too isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. And, and to have that in our in our own backyard is is pretty special yeah i don't want to knock toronto but my, my main issue with toronto is how long it takes to get out of toronto right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah especially yeah. on a long weekend right so <laughs> yeah 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 no I, I don't miss that yeah what's coming up for you 
Yep. So hopefully sometime next week I'll I'll go redeploy my my camera traps, mm-hmm. hoping to get some more black bears, yeah. and then uh, the following week I, I head up to the Great Bear Rainforest to do uh, some work on a potential or an upcoming spear bear piece for for Canadian Geographic, which is uh yeah nice. another bear another bear project which again super passionate about and excited for spirit bear. Um, so that's the the white bears, right? Is that that's exactly yeah. It's it's a black bear with a a recessive allele turning their their right. hair follicles white amazing yeah. and there's like a there's something running through the dna up in that area is that right yeah 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 just in a very isolated spot of the planet and yeah i think there was a, a survey in the 90s with an estimation around 300 to 400 yeah. spirit bears and it was redone in 2019 and came out in 2020 and, and that number is closer to 90 so huh. Uh, yeah Amazing. A, a trend is definitely you know the more elusive or the hard to do the more i'm interested in it i just love that the pursuit is almost as much fun as, as seeing the yeah, yeah. Well, presumably they're easier to find than your average bear too <sighs> no no you'd hope no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they should stick out they're hard to find though and, yeah. but once you find them again that's, that's all camera trap stuff as well so you can work on on salmon streams and, and you know there are some good outfitters and wildlife guides who who know where to look yeah um, yeah fantastic so a question i ask most of my guests and um is uh, if they have a favorite spot in canada i'm going to narrow it down to vancouver island because i don't think we've ever had a guest on specifically rooted in vancouver island like you are so i'd like what's your favorite spot on the island yeah that is tough um Wow. If, if I could give you two, because two come to right to mind, and I don't know how I could okay. separate the two. But we can do two. So, southwest coast of Vancouver Island, where I'm doing a lot of the black bear work, is just in, in that remaining old growth. It's, it's just such, as I've already kind of alluded, such a magical mm-hmm. ecosystem to, to really immerse yourself in and, and explore. Uh, it definitely m- makes you feel tiny and <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, really, it really humbles you to, to how impressive nature is around. But um, my other option, which is very close, would be maybe the Broughton Archipelago up um, kind of the north end of Vancouver Island between the mainland and, and the island. It's just uh, a whale hotspot. So, uh, you know, the southern resident killer whales are super popular down in, in Puget Sound, um, Juan de Fuca, mm-hmm. uh, out of Victoria, Vancouver, Seattle. But Broughton has the best northern resident killer whales you, you can find. Um, right. So, you know, I've, I've been on the boat doing, doing dolphin work and, and one side of the boat, I'm looking at dolphins. The other side, I'm looking at killer whales and the back of the boat, there are humpbacks. It's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, and the islands are stunning and you go into the estuaries and you find grizz cause you're on the mainland then, and you can find black bears and there are wolves and cougars and everything fun, uh, all in a small boat ride around. It's, it's a pretty special place. Uh. That sounds beautiful. Well, thanks for those tips yeah. and thanks thanks for this conversation. It's really it's been a fascinating yeah. journey around Vancouver Island with you and <laughs> really appreciate all the work yeah. you're doing. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Explore. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review us. It helps others to find these interviews. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, when we'll explore again. I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just been a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people. We left Simpson about June 10th with the Fur Brigade, consisting of a number of yacht boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs.
For us in this, it means that in the oral history is very strong. Yeah, we flew all over every inch of the country that it could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 160 lives or so. There are shrimp fish swimming around outside. It's just fabulous here. 